Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. I get excited when I talk to people like him because he's on the cutting edge of, of what he does as an architect in Long Island, New York, and does a lot of stuff for charities, humanitarian, residential, commercial, all of that. And we're going to learn a lot about him and what he's doing right now and Maybe you can get some architectural trends as well. Jack Roseberry joins us on the program. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. You've been you've been doing this a while now. How long? Uh, I started my career 21 years old, and I've recently I'm now 39 years in the business. Wow! Wow! And out of the gate, when you were 21, were you were you an apprentice at an architecture firm? How did that all begin? I worked at a firm that was a surveying engineering architecture firm. So your apprenticeship was you started in the survey department, then you kind of worked your way up from there. So you learned from the beginnings of things. You would go out in the field and actually survey the property. Then you would draft the survey. Then you would you draw a site plan. Then you would do engineering drawings off the site plan. And I learned how to do the architecture side. So it was a well-rounded uh, experience as far as what can be uh, what can be accomplished at that point. So it gave me a broad band, more of a broad band, but it wasn't a traditional architectural internship. It was more of a general experience base. And I use that. I use that quite, quite frankly, to to give to give the client a, an idea of everything that goes on. Wow. Do you have a, a preference when it comes to residential, commercial? Is it, I don't want to say all the same, but different? Or do you gravitate, yeah, you know what? I love doing commercial, but I really, really, really like doing residential. Is there any any preference you have? No. Actually, no. I It really depends. I prefer, actually, to tell you the truth, if I have real preference, I do churches because I love doing churches. Wow. Okay. But churches are the hardest thing in the world to build. If you think about throughout history, how difficult it is to actually build the church, to get to get the fundraising, to get the the start the construction, to start the building, then to do the building. Think about the the cathedral in Spain uh, that Antonio Gaudi did, and I can't recall the name of the built church, but the, it looks like a big sandcastle. And they started that in 1890, and then still not really done. And they actually have to renovate pieces that they started. Okay, you look at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and it burned recently and they have to come back and redo everything and re and there was this big movement. Oh, we should put a luncheon up there. We should make it a museum. We should do this. And to me, that was, this. you know, I spoke out in the forums that I spoke out. I said, no, you have to the people who worked on this thing 800 years ago, you have to honor their memory and just bring back that church to where it was. So that's actually a very interesting thing I've worked on. I've worked on about 30 churches through the years. Wow. Um, yeah. Not all of them have been built. Some of them are some of them are, are still around. So a couple got one got converted to a um a mosque, another one got converted to a a, a synagogue. So they do they don't always last forever, of course, like anything, but they do get reused and done different differently at certain points. You know, so it's it's a fascinating thing. It's a long, it's a longer process because you deal with almost different generations sometimes. And it's it's a little bit different. It's a, I enjoy working on churches. But as far as preference between commercial, residential, and industrial buildings, so to speak, I really like the challenge of what comes through the door that day. Okay. What what happens that day? What you know, I've done houses anywhere from 
700 square feet to 10,000 square feet. And what's the difference? It's really, it's really a challenge either way. A, a tiny house is a tiny house from a space standpoint. A big house has its own, how you're going to hold the thing up type of thing. So that's one element of it. And the commercial side, there's so many different elements of a commercial project that it, different mm -hmm. challenges arise during the way to get things accomplished at that point. So it really, to me, it, it's what's that day going to bring? That's what gets me up in the morning. <laughs> well, you know what? That, that's got to be exciting because you never yeah. know what to expect and every day is a little bit different, right? Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's it's always different. It's it's hectic. I won't lie, it's hectic. It's, I have to say, a process where you learn extreme patience because it's so, you know, I live on Long Island and it's so difficult to get things done on Long Island because of the, the morass of bureaucracy, the, the morass of different entities looking at your project or whatever. And it's so, you have to be very patient with the process. And I try to explain to people, you have to be very patient to do things now. But think about it in terms of people want to build the building. They're going to be investing a 30-year or 50-year investment, you know. So it's important for that guy, important for that person to understand that for that time, it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, the, one of the things I always joke, I, 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 matter of fact, I think I mentioned earlier, I did a, I did a reality TV show once called Hotel Impossible. I did one episode, and it was a, a, a building called Clegg's Hotel in Fire Island, and the show was 42 minutes long. But to create that 42 minutes, I worked for 30 hours. My renderer who did the renderings and the video for the show worked for over 60 hours. The TV crew worked for two weeks straight there just to get 42 minutes of video. Mm -hmm. And people only see the 42 minutes of video and say, well, why can't you do it like they do it on TV? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, this, you watch Home and Garden Network, which is like, you know, to me, it's like I yell at Home and Garden Network as much as I yell at a football game. It's just... You think about it, it's 42 minutes, and Jonathan always gets the permit, gets the building done in a seven-week time frame, you know, and it's and it's all done, and, and everything goes smooth during that 42 minutes. You know, the walls don't collapse, and something doesn't have the ceiling didn't cave in or anything like that. And I know, and people just see that and they go, well, why can't it don't go like that? Well, because it's TV, <laughs> it's different. So you 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 read my mind in a, in a lot of points. I'm also on and from Long Island, just a coincidence. We do podcasts all over the world. We right. have, we just, I mean, it's it, coincidence. We, we happen to be uh, maybe five miles away from each other, right. maybe eight. And my next question to you was, what's the permit process like? Because here on Long Island, as you know, in my, I had houses built. I had changes made to houses over the years. It's been a big challenge. And what's interesting is with all the technology, with everything that has come along, that hasn't moved forward in terms of getting it all done, right? Well, what happens is it's, it's, it's a liability. We've gotten way, we've gotten overly concerned with liability. And I think the building departments have gotten very, a lot of building departments now have lawyers that are assistant or associate directors and stuff like that. And it seems like everything is done with a mind towards liability. This is where I preach the patience part is yeah. so important. You have to be patient with that process because it can take eight months, four months, eight months, 12 months, two years, three years 
however long it takes because you're going through a myriad of governmental agencies. You're going through a myriad of different ideas and you're, each person has an interpretation which doesn't align with anything you may know or not know. It's my interpretation against theirs. Mm. So what I think is to code, they might turn around and say, no, it's not to code. It's not, no, no, I got a thing here. Now, usually I can work it out with them and say, wait a minute, this is where it comes from and this is why I'm right and I will, and I will usually work it out. But sometimes you just, you you it's gotten to the point where you, they're so afraid of, of making the slightest call that they, they won't make the call at all. Yeah. I had I just had a house today. They want to put there's flood vents on the house because it's in a flood zone. The guy sends me a note, well, put the flood vents within one foot of the gra- of the ground. I took it to mean put the flood vents one foot over the ground. Get it, get it back. And mm-hmm. no, no, I want it within one foot of the ground. Well, what does that mean? And he says, Well, you can't put High, high blood, low, and I'm on, on the podcast and nobody's going to see what my head's gesturing. Um, you have to have a high flood vent and a low flood vent. The high flood vent acts as a ventilator and has a water, a, a way for water to get pour out the top. And low flood vent is ventilation and allows the water in. You don't want the flood waters pounding against your foundation without any, without any way of getting through the foundation or it'll just knock the foundation apart. We found that out during Sandy. So, uh, Superstorm Sandy. So we go, we go on to that interpretation of code and it's, 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 again, you're creating one new sheet for every draw, every time they make a change. So we're now on day four of an argument over a vent of where a vent is placed relative to the ground. And <laughs> I can't blame all these people who get frustrated over that. I get frustrated over that at that point. It's, you bring up some great insight. Because I never thought of the the liability issue, and that's why most municipalities are waiting to approve things and double check and triple check right. and, and all of that. Uh, you've worked on quite a few commercial projects along the way as well, stores yes. and uh, institutional type buildings. Tell us about right. some I, of that. I did a lot of swing up a series buildings uh, for for them. I did. Uh, I actually worked on a Trump project. When he did Trump on the ocean at Jones Beach. Can I jump in for one moment? Sure. I was just at Zwanger Passiri, uh two days ago and just getting an R- MRI on my shoulder. A little, you know, little issue. And I'm going to be honest with you, Jack. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you worked on on this particular one. Which one? Uh, this was in Stony Brook. No, that's the one. That, that was before me, actually. They was put it? that in before. I, I did a period of 14 facilities for them from 2000. 11 to 2016 they did a huge expansion we were just going crazy i did all all kinds of facilities but i know about the story brook one that's that's you know what that I, predates me <laughs> I, I and i do remember they did one in uh, queens that was kind of like the uh they, they started yeah. kicking things up right there yeah i went yeah. to we, we did one in uh bayside and one in laurelton did the, the, yeah. that's my i tell people i've done projects from manhattan to montauk and I did project for uh, Brooklyn and two in Queens, so I guess that counts for five boroughs and you wow. know, work I've done in the city. So, I, and I have to tell you, even though it predates you, they, they probably relied on you to really step it up. I, I, it was kind of efficient the way they had it set up. I was I was kind of impressed. Yeah, they they do a nice job. They yeah. really do. They do a nice job. And uh, the the woman, the funny thing is, the woman who was the design development director who hired me used to. I trained her. She worked for me. Wow. Years before. So she became, it's really, I was proud of that too, because it's when you see somebody actually, you train and they surpass you. 
that's a cool thing. You know, it really is. Yeah. So that's 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 important that you know you you bring people along in life and you say okay and they they turn out to be really good at what they do and they move out they move up in the world and they they, they bring you along sometimes you know and you get to do really cool work just because you knew this person when they were when you were first trained. Yeah, and so tell us about the uh, Jones Beach, New York project. You you started talking about that. Uh, that's, well, what happened was this goes back, this predates, this is Hurricane Sandy and I'm just going to bring it up. I'm going to be pretty brief, but, uh, it was a Trump project, but it was really with Paul Allen, the green and Beth page. And it was 2010 or nine. And, uh, Trump's, the proposal was to build the big catering facility in Jones beach. I think right in the area now they have the the uh, the bungee cords and all the, the, yes. the gym and all the yeah. yeah there's, I think there's trapeze things there. There's, yeah, yeah, that was originally of- that was the old restaurant. They tore it. It flooded. They had to tear it down. And they came out. And they were going to build this thing, and Trump stuck it. And they they brought in Trump as a management partner, and he stuck a name on it. And we had to go for a variance, a state variance, to use underground facilities. And once the the locals got wind of what that was happening. And this is before anybody, you know, the only thing we knew Trump for at the time was the beginnings of the apprentice, I think. And it was astounding, mm. absolutely astounding. The, Oh my God, they hated him. <laughs> <laughs> and he had anything to do with Trump. And all it was was Trump's name. And it was like, he's going to turn into a casino. He's going to do this in the world. The world. I was like, you kind of went to the hearing went, Oh my God. God, you know, but uh, unfortunately, what happened was it became political rather than um, it became politics rather than merit. And I always I always talk about the politics of merit, but sometimes merit gets overwhelmed by politics. Um, what happened was it was denied. Trump had it overturned in the courts on an Article 78. And then Sandy came along and washed the whole thing away. Wow. But it was a big, I learned some really weird arcane knowledge doing that here's the arcane knowledge i'll tell you i'll tell you this bit in a storm okay the worst long island can flood is not from a storm believe it or not we had hurricane sandy it's the structural engineer came up with this stuff because of what could happen to this building and the worst thing that can happen long island from a flooding standpoint is tsunami from the azores an earthquake on the Atlantic Rim. Is that wild? And we, you know, reading the whole reading the whole report is the entire land would be buried up to twenty five feet of water if there was ever a tsunami from an earthquake in the Azores. And we presented this stuff, you know. And wow. The the chairman told us it was the best presentation he ever heard, and everybody was there. All News Twelve, News Seven. It was a, it was a wild scene, but we didn't get it, and it just. Wow. You move on, you know, you just move on from there. And, uh, but, uh, well, you I know, you, tell you, that's- you mentioned Superstorm Sandy, which, you know, in the Northeast here in 2012, right around this time of the year, you know, right. give, give or take. October you know, 28th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it like after that? Were you kind of in overdrive working overtime, you know, months past that in, uh, in the rebuild of that? Not right away. It didn't really, it didn't happen right away. Not, not like you would think. It took until about 2014 wow. for the dust to settle and everything to clear the insurance money and fire shake loose. Mm. Then they brought in New York Rising. And New York Rising was a program that really, it, it didn't work as well as it intended. Let's put it that way. And I'll leave it at that. Um, but it 
it enabled people to get back on their feet. So I did a lot of work in raising houses and flood prevention during that time. Um, you learn a lot from that. You learn, okay, this is why I talked about flood vents earlier. That's where I learned it from Hurricane the, the New York Rising, raising you know, the raising the houses up, doing the things that people need to do. And it was a very interesting experience from that standpoint, as far as the uh, learning what had to happen to raise the houses up. And we, we would raise houses five, six feet, that type of thing. But then something else would come into play. You raise the house, somebody would have a two-story house. You raise the house. Well, if you raise it too high, and the state came in and had a technical interpretation and said, well, if you raise the house too high, you have a two-story house, you put fire sprinklers in the house. Well, how the heck do you do that? <laughs> that wow. would start all up. So it got it gets crazy. It really does. It's a it's a fascinating world of point and counterpoint at times. Wow. How about some trends? Let's let's look at residential for the moment. What are you finding that uh, people are asking for? You know, black and white houses. I'm seeing that. Do you see? Do you see that out there? Black. Everybody. All of a sudden, now you see the black and white house trend. They want white house, black black windows, or God, I saw. I just see black house, white windows. I went, no, no, I didn't see that. You can't see it, but you can't can't yeah. see that. But you, that's a big thing. Is they want that white? I did a, I did the lofts apartments in Smithtown recently. And it's white. It's white building. The back buildings are white with black trim, mm. and it really came out spectacular. It really came. And I, when he first suggested it to me, I was like. No, white and black, it's, it's a little too strong in both directions, but it really came out sharp. And I was thrilled with it. I'm, you know, I look at it every day. Look at it. So, wow, that came out great. Because you're your own worst critic. You don't think anything. I don't think architects really sometimes don't think anything they do is brilliant. At least I, I don't think so anyway. But um, I just looked at it. Wow, wow, that really came. That color scheme came out wonderful. But you learn, you learn the subtleties of white, too. You learn that. And how an off-white works off a gloss white, how different tones of white work. And sometimes they don't work with black. Uh, has situation, same complex I, I that they did ivory colored brick. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure yet because it's not done how that ivory is going to work with the black. It's I'll leave it leave it there. But it's gonna work. But it's it's one of those things you just learned how subtle colors difference makes it makes it a change. How, how about architecturally inside a house? You know, obviously, uh, I'm going to say the open concept, you know, kitchen area is still big, right? Yes. Open okay. concept is big. The f open floor plan concept is big. Um, I think we're supersizing the bedrooms a little too much in houses. It seems like, it, you know, it used to be, what I, at least where I grew up, it was a, a 12 by 12 bedroom for a kid was a nice bedroom. That is, they want to... 14 by 14 or 15 by 15. And that's the, the secondary's bedrooms. Not to talk about the master that uh, you can throw a football in and not hit the other side of the room, I think, sometimes. Some of these master bedrooms. And um, it's fascinating of that that scale has changed of bedroom sizes and what you have to store in bedrooms. I mean, think about Long Island in the 60s. Uh, we grew up in houses and we had a closet that was maybe two by two and that was a good size closet. You were lucky to have it. <laughs> Nowadays, you 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 almost have to design around the closet. You have to build yeah. closets and houses that are four and five feet long. And basically, what I do is I take a space, I divide it into run a two foot gap between the spaces, and that becomes the closet. And that's more than enough. Should be a more than enough closet space for most people. Uh, plus, closet space is a uh, a point of contention among married married families. 
The husband never gets the larger closet space if he comes to that. I've had long counseling sessions on that front, you know. So it's 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 an ongoing thing. But that's the thing, you know, those are the things that the trends are more, it seems for, I don't know, it's I, I, you have a, a, a term in the kitchen where there's so many appliances, it makes less work for the, less work for the person cooking, but because you have so many appliances, the kitchen is huge. You know, the kitchen gets so big because you have to put more and more appliances in, so the person doesn't have to inconvenience themselves while cooking. Never, I don't understand that sometimes, you know, just, you know, but. Um, oh, I've had, I've had houses before where if you open the drawer, it hits a door in, in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. Or it conflicts with, you know, you open up the oven, then a door is opening and it just wasn't planned out uh, in terms of, I guess, ergonomics. I don't know if that's the best word. Yeah, that's the best word. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a perfect science with the cabinets and everything else. It's a uh, cabinetry is not a, because a lot of it's, uh, it's almost become a specialized trade into itself. Like the one thing about, architecture and design and building now it's become so it's gotten very partitioned like i the, the old there's a saying and i'm saying i learned in school that architects start off knowing a little about a little bit about everything until they get to a point where they know absolutely nothing about everything and this transverse is true about engineers where engineers know everything about nothing at all at the end of the day at the end and that's pretty much where how it kind of works where you now if you go into a big house a big house or a big a big building, you'll have a lighting consultant, an acoustic consultant, a uh, uh, a kitchen designer, a a, uh, a furniture interior decorator, a designer. There's so many people involved that you go you like almost have to take a name card and figure out whose name is who at that point. But uh, I don't really work like that. I rather work my own with my own group of people, with me myself, my drafts people, and work things out. And I'll kind of like let the homeowner make those decisions sometimes, you know, as far as color and what they want spatially. Cause they, you know, it's very nice. You can stage a room with furniture, but if it's not the homeowner's furniture, how does that work? How does that work for them? You know, and mm. what's their dream, you know, from a standpoint of, of, of what they want. So yeah. I tend to stay, I tend to want to be, I'll be your one-stop shop. I'll do as much as I can. If I need a consultant, I'll hire a consultant. But if I, I, if I feel I can handle most of it for you, I'll, I will let you make your own decisions as well. Along, yeah, you know? I, it, it's ultimately it's up to the homeowner to a point because right. there's only so much that can be done. I could come up with the best ideas. Oh wait, Jack, let's do this, do that, and you'd be like, "Whoa, Steve, easy, <laughs> reel it right. back in." You know, it can't that can't be done, or that won't be to code, and we can't do that. You know, either. Uh, fascinating learning about this, and I had no idea about all these uh, the projects that you've worked on. Um, and even I don't do politics, but just Trump and apprentice. I forgot he was on the apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a flashback. Like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, how do we find, <laughs> how do we find you, Jack? If we want to see maybe some samples or if somebody's in the New York area, I guess you're licensed for New York, correct? I actually am proud to announce after 16 years of trying, I finally got a national certification. I am going to get my license. If all 50 States of America, uh, that was a long, drawn-out process, but I finally got it about two weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm practice. I'm licensed in New York. I practice all over Long Island. Uh, but that, I did get that finally, that certification. Uh, my office is located um, on 93 Main Street, West Sable. 
And uh, I've been here now just about eight years. I'm in a historic house that's the called the Greenhouse, which George Washington stayed here for a night. And the house was built wow. in 1780. Wow. And the funny thing about this house is you think about building codes. You think about uh, how things are. And you look at this house. It's still standing. But I can't keep – bookshelves fall apart on me after a while here because they're never level. And they just fall right after a few years because they're not they're not balanced right, you know. They're just they're, you know, I might have to buy a better brand of bookshelf, but that even when I bought a better brand of bookshelf, it collapsed after a couple of years because wow. they just the floors are so badly out of level. And it's because you, you can't level them after a while; they're they're, they're permanently bent. Your, your history runs so deep, even historically in that house, and uh, you saved the best for last about being certified or licensed uh, in the state. We people see these podcasts all over the country in all the states. Uh, wow! What's your website, Jack? My website is www.roseberryarchitect. R O S C B E R Y Architect A R C H I T E C T dot com. Uh, it's an older site. I'm working on an update, but you can also find the Roseberry Architectural Studio on Facebook. I'm still still ambivalent about Instagram, but I do have social media uh, social media presence as well. Gotcha, Jack. Fascinating talking with you. Uh, it'd be Went fascinating so if. if <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you were in Wyoming, it'd be fascinating. The fact that you're around the corner for me, even more so. Uh, And uh, it was great talking with you. I appreciate you being here today. Okay, Steve, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Okay, Simon, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. And what do people normally wear? Clothes. Exactly. So now mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Clothes keep us warm, they look good, and if we go out without them, the neighbors will talk. So it's important to know how to get dressed. Here's how it's done. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole, or you have to start all over. If you're wearing a tie, it goes over, round, round, through, and pull tight. Tuck your shirt into your pants and zip up your fly. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with bunny ears. I love bunnies. Good to know. Now remember, spots don't go with stripes, socks don't go with sandals, and if you've tucked in your shirt, wear a belt. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council.